coming today on Negotiate Your Best Life with Rebecca Zung. I think about the, I look back on it myself and it really feels like a case of I started overcoming adversity before I knew there was adversity that I was overcoming. So the big questions are these. How can we navigate and negotiate every situation in our lives, in our career, in our businesses, in our relationships, and even with ourselves for our own self-worth? In other words, what if you could win every time and have no losers? Let's face it, we're not negotiating just to buy a car or for a pay raise. We are negotiating for living in every aspect of our lives. How can we do that powerfully, successfully, and victoriously? Those are the questions, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Rebecca Song, and welcome to the time where you negotiate your best life. Welcome to another episode of Negotiate Your Best Life. I'm Rebecca Zong, and I have Tiffany Cook all the way from down under here with me today. And uh, she has a really, really cool thing going on, on all about rolling with the punches. And those of us who are dealing with narcissists in our lives, we know all about rolling with punches. And uh, she's a businesswoman and she has really talked openly about her own personal life and how she has learned how to take the metaphor of being in the boxing ring and overcome adversity and, you know, being knocked down and how to get back up and, um, and how to, and she has a whole course on this and this is what she is doing with her life. So welcome Tiffany. She's going to tell us all about that. I'm so glad that you're here. Thank you. Hi, Rebecca. Nice to see you. Thank you so much for having me today. Thank you. And and uh, I'm about I'm going to go on your podcast too and you have a whole podcast on rolling with the punches and um and we were introduced by um our mutual friend Susan Sly. She's who, amazing. Amazing. I just had her on the show the other day. So anyone that rec- comes through her recommendation is a friend of mine, I think. Yeah, she is, um, she's my soul sister from another mother. We're both uh, half Chinese. We, we like have all these like really cool things in common. And um, so I love what you're up to. It's, it's, it's such a, a really, really different thing. And especially being a female, uh, you're like a super badass, like from, you know, <laughs> Like the core of your core, uh, you know, I was like stalking you on YouTube and all these different <laughs> places to to um, prepare for today's interview and check you out and all the cool things that you're up to. But you know, you have definitely um, overcome adversity, and um, you know, in the intro of this show, I actually even talk about how negotiating your best life sometimes that means like negotiating with your own head for your own self-worth, like, you know, before you even, like, get out of bed in the morning, right? Yeah, yeah. So tell us about your background. Where did you even start with all of this? It's really funny. Like, I think about the, I look back on it myself and it really feels like a case of I started overcoming adversity before I knew there was adversity that I was overcoming. So, you know, I think I always had this relationship with adversity, which obviously throughout life had 
kind of had I'd had the undertones of it, but never really saw it as a, as adversity, if that makes sense. So when I when I stepped into boxing, that was never oh I'm gonna I'm gonna go and overcome some stuff. I didn't realise there was stuff there waiting for me, which I found in the boxing ring. I went I chose to do that as more of a it was a bit of fun. You know, I saw a 12-week boxing challenge at a gym for corporate. So I was like, I love a bit of attention. I'm going to do this. This is awesome. Uh, just, it was kind of the ticket to learn to do something that I, that I didn't think that I had the talent or the ability to do. So this kind of corporate boxing challenge environment was like my ticket in. So I chose to do that and I absolutely adored the process. I mean, it was the scariest thing I've ever done in my life, no doubt. But something, after, after that 12-week challenge and that fight and the confrontation and the discomfort and all of the crazy, I was just pulled in. There was something about the boxing ring. There was something about this activity that I just, that, I, that was pulling me in and I knew that I wanted more of it. But that... That interested me, that intrigued me because I was never like that with other activities. It was kind of next shiny object. Oh, yep, done that tick. Like, what's next? What's next? And there was something about this sport that I was like, for something that's so uncomfortable and so frightening and so confronting, why do I, why do I want to keep going back to this? Why is this consistency in this sport stepping into my life? And after a couple of, maybe a within that first couple of years and I was doing, um, I did a couple of years of doing those more fun corporate challenges where you train for eight weeks in that environment and then you have a fight and it's it's kind of a big deal and then you just go and, you know, train like normal, have a bit of fun again before stepping in and actually competing in the amateurs. But within that, that first couple of years, I realised that there was there was stuff coming up, there was memories coming up, there was childhood trauma that I'd never really thought about before, I'd never really acknowledged. And me being really analytical type A, I was like, oh, all right. So I jumped on Google, I'm like, what's this experience I've had as a kid, this experience I've had in life that I wonder what the repercussions of that are for an adult. And... Yeah, I get, that was the start of the can of worms, Rebecca. The can, <laughs> the can of worms that was, um, you know, dealing with the stuff, realising that for, for 29 years there'd been a mask. I'd, I'd been wearing a mask. I'd, I had a persona. I thought that persona was me, but that persona was just a protection, prote- sorry, protection mechanism. Does that make sense? Yeah, of course. And, you know, I love how you say, like, in the face of the messiness of life, well, I mean, it just sort of like in any kind of situation when we're faced with something we don't like, what do we want to do? We either want to fight or we flee, right? Mm. And so what are you going to do? Yeah, I think so much came out of that for me, like, you know, it rings true with the pandemic. So in 2020, I'd, after almost two or approximately two years of going into business with business partners and investing in gyms, that March, our first gym was about to turn its 
very first profit. We were going to make our very first dollar after a couple of years. And that was the month that gyms shut down because of the pandemic. Oh, man, and terrible timing. Yeah, yeah. And a question I asked myself a couple of years before going into that business, because for me it was a big deal. I'm a single female. I've worked really hard to get where I am my whole life. I was going into business with three men and they were quite successful men. And um, so the risk versus reward, I was like the, the risk of this failing for me is everything and all the hard work and it's a really big deal. And in comparison to the other people that are going into this business, it just may not be as big a deal. That makes sense. So the, I asked a very big question. That was, if this didn't work out well for me, will I learn what I need to learn in order to be okay with that result? So fortunately, when the pandemic hit and I was faced with this could be this could be the end. Like, what what is this? This is this is really bad. I'd already answered that question. And my hot, that my adversity loving self kind of kicked in, and I went right. We've got we have some serious adversity here. This is where I thrive, and this is what interested me about the boxing ring was I had this. This is where I thrive. Pressure is where I thrive. Fear is where I thrive, and like I found that really interesting. I guess from a from a psychological perspective, like. Why? Why does why does that sort of pressure and that fear make me switch on? So, like when, so nobody else feels that way. By the way, <laughs> <laughs> so what is that about? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean that's what I what I drew out of it. So when when the pandemic, everybody else who's listening is going, okay, well, what? That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. I get it. I'm a bit crazy. And um, I, I don't know. I still look at that and go, what's, what's that about? And part of me recognises some things and part of me is still like, that's really interesting. I think there, there were a few things that I, that I realised deeply when that hit and went... So when that pandemic hit, my plan of attack was I, there is nothing I can do that's going to affect the macro level of this, nothing. But what I can do for these two weeks in summer, in March, for the next two weeks of lockdown, I'm going to pretend that I'm in Thailand like I used to be when I took boxing retreats on holiday at a resort. The sun is shining. I'm going to give myself a two-week holiday. That's I, I've never done that before. So in my mind, I, I did that for two weeks and that got me into a really great emotional place because there was... I could have done all the stressing and worrying and control in the world, but that was never going to, I mean, if the pandemic was going to fold my businesses and send me on the street, then that was going to happen regardless of whether I worried about it or not. So from that place, some opportunities came up um, and I got to work with the Victorian Ambulance Paramedics. So working with first responders, and that's a theme that runs through the podcast that I started. The podcast, Roll With The Punches, started because I was working with the Victorian Ambulance, training them, and then once a week we would have a feel-good Friday session. And the feel-good Friday was just a social get-together. It was human connection. It was, you know, we're all in isolation. You guys are working really hard. Let's just stay well. And that evolved into me getting some really great speakers and guests on to present to them. And that was the seedling to this podcast. But 
the relationship or the the passion for the first responder space was really driven and, and I probably wasn't, I mean, I was kind of aware of it at the time, but maybe wasn't articulating it well or hadn't thought it through, but I'd, I'd kind of drawn a parallel between why do, why did Tiffany Cook step into the fight zone of the boxing ring where there's an opponent and there's trauma and there's uncertainty and there's, you know, tiff against the world? Why did that feel like home? Why did, what made that okay? What took me there? when it doesn't take other people there, or not everyone. And similarly, what makes paramedics put themselves last to walk out into trauma every day for a job for people they don't know, saving lives, seeing trauma that takes a toll on their, their physical and their mental health? It's a, you know, it's a big job and I... And that, you know... <laughs> a little bit of a fascination, I guess, with trauma, you could say, from that standpoint is what what's behind it? What's behind our choices? What's behind what takes us into places and how we respond in those places? Well, I think sometimes it's because even though we don't want to be in trauma, it's comfortable if we yes. grew up in trauma. Yeah. You know, we get attracted to what's comfortable because it's predictable. Like the brain wants to be able to predict, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I found when I'd first, after that first couple of years of boxing, I started doing some writing at home, you know, just kind of getting words out, getting thoughts on paper. And And I wanted to, I was trying to pinpoint what is it? What is it about this environment that's, that's resonating and there were things that popped out such as control. So control is obviously a big thing. <laughs> and I knew that, that having a sense of control in that environment was important. You, you have control over your performance and what happens in there. I resonated with being alone to help myself, to fend for myself. So you're inside a ring. Everyone is there. You've got all support in the world, but no one can actually do anything. No one can step in and help. You have to fight your own fight. But in this instance, everyone could see me. I was There was visibility that wasn't there when I was a child. It was all seen. There was an opponent standing in front of me and the honesty of that opponent was appealing because that person was an opponent that was going to hurt me. They weren't pretending to be anything else like people had in the past. Do you know what I mean? There was no there was no two faces to that to that scenario. So there was all of those little things that I just felt connected that connected with me and made made that appealing. And it's not until you really look deeply I think to understand and see those things. And then when you can see them in one thing I love about sport or about finding not might, may not be sport could be anything but finding an environment that resonates like that is then that became my playground to see who is Tiffany Cook and how does she function and if we want to change how she functions, that was the place that I would see the changes. So when I started doing psychological work, the boxing ring was where I'd know for sure if there there was change happening because in the boxing ring you respond before you have time to reframe, you're responding from that that primal place. 
from that subconscious, someone throws a punch at you, you don't have much time to decide. You've already, you, if you're going to flinch, you've already flinched before you can control that. So you really see how you look after yourself, how you stand up to adversity, how mm-hmm. you, how you, the self-love, um, the way that I trained and, um, and sparred and fought changed over time, changed a lot after I did, um, after I did a lot of therapy as well, which was interesting. Coming up, more on Negotiate Your Best Life with Rebecca Zone. So I had three years of not competing. And obviously in that three-year period, I'd done quite a bit of therapy over the time. And when I decided in 2019 that I was going to start training again and fight again, the biggest question in my mind was, who is Tiffany Cook going to be in the boxing ring now? When it comes to the safety of a child in a divorce case involving alcohol abuse, there is no compromise. Take back power, strength, and truth from the narcissist in your life with documented proof of sobriety. Soberlink's alcohol monitoring system is the most convenient, reliable, and reasonable way for a parent to provide evidence that they are not drinking when a child's safety is at risk. Soberlink's real-time alerts make it easy to negotiate with any party Judges can rest assured that the child is safe. Attorneys get court admissible evidence of sobriety, and both parents have empowerment and peace of mind. Get an exclusive $50 off your device by emailing info at soberlink.com and mentioning Negotiate Your Best Life podcast. Are you struggling with how to negotiate and win? Maybe you're dealing with a personality that's particularly challenging, like a narcissist or other high-conflict personality, and you're feeling powerless. Make sure to download my free Win My Negotiation Cheat Sheet at www.winmynegotiation.com. Take a listen to our archive where you can listen to more episodes that show you the path to how to negotiate your best life. I've been fascinated by genius pretty much all my life. When I was 12 years old, I was in a psychiatric chair um, and I was a straight D student first through 12th grade. And and I wasn't sure if I had mental disabilities and I was told that I did. And so I, when I went through this psychiatric uh, journey, and I went through all this testing, and I, I've taken probably every IQ test that was available to to um, to anyone at that time, and all the way through college, and just to come to a realization that while on paper and in class and in the structures that existed, I seemed to have a, a massive mental deficiency, and yet when I took these other tests, it seemed like I had some level of proficiency. And so I always wondered if there was genius inside of me inside of others that was trapped or maybe unharnessed or or almost inaccessible because of of psychological, emotional damage in our lives. And now we return to today's show. So how was the journey like tracking in therapy along with what was happening in the boxing ring? Like... You know, how how are they kind of mirroring each other? Well, the biggest change I saw was in 2014 and 2015, I'd fought in the amateurs. And then 
I had a three-year break. I tore my shoulder, but I'd also started as I'd quit my corporate job and become a boxing coach and personal trainer. So I had three years of not competing. And obviously in that three-year period, I'd done quite a bit of therapy over the time. And when I decided in 2019 that I was going to start training again and fight again, the biggest question in my mind was who is Tiffany Cook going to be in the boxing ring now? Because one of my biggest strengths previously was the disassociation from emotions. So when I was standing in there, I couldn't feel the punches. I couldn't feel... There was no emotional reaction to anything that was happening. There was, there was yeah, a real, a real safety in that. And that, made, and that was a great thing, right, because you don't want to fight with emotion. And I knew I'd done a lot of work on emotional stuff. So I went down to the gym and within that first week I got thrown into a sparring session with one of the boys and this guy's a pro boxer, John, and hits like a freight train. Not deliberately, just has these hands that land like a mountain coming down on you. So I, I hopped in there. I hadn't sparred for a long time. There was a dark, dingy gym. There was blokes everywhere. It was pretty intimidating anyway. And then John hits me with an uppercut and I thought, that's it. That is my nose has got to be broken. Oh, my <laughs> but God. For the, yeah. And he hit me with three more of those before the round finished. But it was the first time that I felt anxious and exposed and I felt I felt like I like I was naked and everyone could see my emotion. I was like, this is the first time that, A, I don't even want to be in this round finishing this and, B, everyone can see that. And when everyone can see my feelings, I felt, I felt really exposed. And that, that was probably the biggest thing for me and there was differences in my now unwillingness to just to be okay with being hit all the time for the sake of training. So there was this self-care and self-preservation that wasn't there before. There was the willingness to say, you know, I, I trained with a really hard trainer, hard and old school, and I love that. But, you know, this time there were times when I would say, nah, you know, like I've got a cut on my eye, I'm not going to spar until, you know, I'm going to get my eye busted open just for the sake of sparring this week. You know, there was that self-care and self-love that just wasn't there before. Well, I mean, that's good, definitely. I mean, do you think though that there was a part of you that had like the fear come back though too or no? No, I think it was just, I, I, I feel like it was just more... Self-care. More connection, more connection. So that's in good. What was ha- yeah, and self-care so and, you know, like there, I wasn't in, I wasn't proving and playing the old cycle. Oh, so that's good. You didn't feel like you had to prove yourself again. Exactly. Yeah, so that's exactly. Good. Yeah. Uh, very much one of the things that I noticed I that was a thing for me was accommodating, always accommodating whatever anybody wanted. Mm. So I would do and not question it. And that is something that, and, it, you know, interestingly, there would be like a two-day delay on on how I felt about things. So oh. I might agree to something 
and then a couple of days later be like, oh, I wish I didn't agree to that because there was because I would just accommodate. Yep, cool. Anything, anything you need. Yep, let's the go along that. to get along. I call it the go along to get along. Oh, I like that. Which is, you know, like if you're dealing with toxic personality, I teach people how to negotiate with narcissists, like, you know. And so if you've been having to deal with toxic or difficult personalities, you've been the victim of trauma, you kind of learn to sort of protect yourself with that, right? Yeah. But then, you know, it's also a trauma thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah, very much. Oh, I like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, because then you're, you you know, you're not, there's a fine line between, you know, just being a doormat, right? Because you're, you're now, you're not having a voice, Mm. Mm. right? Um, So um, I want to talk a little bit, in some of your interviews, I heard you talking a little bit also about overcoming imposter syndrome with um, being in the boxing ring. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah. um, I think my biggest lesson with imposter syndrome is probably more in the space I'm in now, more in the the doing this stuff. Well, I don't know, it's prevalent everywhere, isn't it? It's definitely still prevalent today. I think my biggest lesson with imposter syndrome was one of my one of my biggest mentors who I now work with and for and produce his podcast. I remember at one point a few years ago I don't know whether I was listening to his podcast or one of his talks he was delivering, and he, at 57, with an enormous profile... And who is this? This is Craig Harper from the U Project. Okay. And he said, he made comment that he still feels imposter syndrome and that that never goes away, and it was like a light bulb where I went, ah, the people who are where I want to be still feel like this. So this doesn't go away, so I start now. I do it now. Uh, in the boxing ring, I think the first, the first thing I noticed, in that, especially in that first fight, was I walked into the gym every day knowing, knowing that I was, I was embarrassed that I was hopeless. I knew I was the worst person in that gym. I was, you know, it was, I felt laughable. But also, I spent the whole 12 weeks training for that fight with an unwavering belief, this knowing somewhere else inside me that oh, I had, I was going to win that fight and that was the only option, that I had what it took. And when I reflect back at that, when I talk about that and think about that, it's kind of odd to have two opposing feelings at the same time and one... So I find that interesting. There is one knowing that I'm the worst and I'm quite embarrassed about it and I'll, you know, I'll feel like that when I walk into the ring and I'll feel like that when I speak to people, but it was also just this sense of knowing that I'll have what it takes and there'll be no other option. And that was fortunately the 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 thought or the voice that that won the day in the end, like that was the one that that held the power. Which yeah. I think is, again, in life is really, I mean, there's been times, especially when I first started the podcast, there were times in the early days when I would sit in an interview 
with that voice on my shoulder going, this is so embarrassing. You are so, like, you are such a fool. This person must think you're a fool. They're such a high-profile person. This is a terrible podcast. This is going to be a terrible episode. And then I would edit it and I would publish it and I would listen to it and go, wow. That's, that's not bad. I sound pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it was like, that's a really great chat. And, you know, so it was realising that some days, sometimes, some experiences, you're just going to be riddled with, with that feeling. And you just realize that people are people and, you know, it's just a human and it's just one human to another. And Yeah, and they're probably sitting there thinking the same thing. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I remember seeing Billy Joel in an interview one time and he was like looking at this big, massive, huge house that he had in the Hamptons. And he was like, I keep waiting for the real owner to come home and go, all right, (laughs) Time for you to get out of here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, even he had it after, you know, all these years, all those years, you know, at that yeah. point. It is funny. I mean, I, I had, four to, I think, 14 fights and the vast majority of those I won, I think there were maybe three losses. But still, there's still that, those two feelings, like, Evidence shows that I win more than I lose. Evidence shows that that there's that I'm doing some things really well, but I don't walk around thinking I'm a really good boxer. I'm a really good. I definitely don't think that. Which is but you should. Why not? <laughs> I know, right? I mean, why not? Think I'm pretty badass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I and you, like you teach classes on it, right? Yeah, yeah, I do. And I love it. So I, I teach some classes, but one the thing I love most is I do do a boxing work, beginner boxing workshop. It's a four-week workshop and I have a little tribe that keeps coming back for it. But the, the thing about that is that, well, two things I love. One is I wasn't, I wasn't a sporty person before that and I wasn't at all coordinated at all. It's like laughable how uncoordinated I am. So in order for me to be – and I think that's what makes can make me a really great teacher because the technical – I'm fascinated by the technical and mechanical aspects to movement and how we bring our awareness to how we're moving and feeling out, which is funny when I say that because I'm like it's all about feeling your body and you're talking about a girl that spent most of her life dissociating. <laughs> but, I, you know, to be able to – bring your awareness and feel parts of your body and change the movement and and learn a skill that, that you know, it's people might just think, oh, I'm not talented, I'm not good at this. And then there's there's just so much power in that, that the metaphor, you know, has always been when I become a fitness coach and a boxing coach, it's about the change that happens outside the boxing ring. So I don't care about your body. I don't care about all of that stuff. I don't, I don't really care about the, the tasks that we're doing in the ring, but when... It's about you know, feeling your power and learning your power and the mental yes. piece of it, right? Yeah, yeah. And when yeah. you can walk in and, and train when you don't feel well or strong or you're sad and you can do it anyway, well, that's their behaviours that roll out into the rest of your life. I felt like I ignored my corporate jobs for the first for those years when I was when I was working and boxing because I just loved boxing so much that it was, you know, I just 
that was all my focus. But when I looked back, I was like, wow, look how much I developed as an employee and then as a business person and then as a human. Like all of all of the behaviours and the mindsets that you develop in a sport or in any one environment are going to roll out into another environment for you. And I just love that. I yeah, love that. yeah. Well, I'm sure you've helped so, so many people. So get give us like the one like amazing lesson that you want everybody to like walk away from this podcast learning. I reckon the one biggest thing is just start. Just start. Start and do it. Do whatever you, you think is going to spark your fire. Yeah, just take one step in front of the other, all right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Don't let a single, don't let a single, oh, when when I get this or when I'm ready, like just start. I announced my podcast before I I even knew how to edit a podcast and put it online. I knew nothing and it's been crazily successful, you know. I just do it. Mm. Amazing. So where can people find your podcast? Where can they learn more about you? I have a website which is www.rollwiththepunches.com.au and you can find Roll With The Punches on all the major podcast platforms um, and you'll find me on Facebook and Instagram and all of the usual haunts. All right. I love it. And so go follow her, go check her out, go listen to her podcast and super cool. Love hanging out with you, Tiffany. You are amazing. What a really badass, amazing person you are. Really (laughs) fun. Thanks for stopping by and listening to this episode of Negotiate Your Best Life. I'm Rebecca Zung. Check back next Monday for more inspirational pearls of wisdom. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, I'd love if you would give it a five-star rating and tell me what you liked in a review on iTunes. Also, be sure to grab your winning negotiation cheat sheet at winmynegotiation.com. And remember, today is a perfect day to start negotiating your best life. Thank you.